Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Desi, are we doing patrons? Yeah, let's okay. do it. I totally forgot where Blank. I was right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a Patreon for this podcast where we post additional content. We also post our main and mini episodes ad-free on the patron on the Patreon. So if you would like to join, it's patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene, and you can get free content. Uh, starting at $5 a month. Yeah. This week we had Ted, Sarah, Brianna, Miss V, Megan, Elsa, Erica, Natalie, Sierra, Emily, Emma, Court, Vicky, Helen, Jen, Liz, Anna Lynn, Justin, Darby, Maya, Luis and Jose, Kendra, Desiree, Sierra, Luis, Rachel, Jill, Rose, and Abby Joe. Thank you all Thank you so, guys much. so much. You really help support the show and we appreciate it. Okay, so once again, this episode is brought to you by me not getting a book I wanted in time. <laughs> so I had to pick a new book. And I saw that the writer of the book I was trying to get had another biography that looked kind of interesting. And it was someone I had not thought of doing before. But then I saw there were sort of some criminal elements, light criminal elements to her story. So I was like, I can do what I want (laughs) because everyone's going to be really happy with this one. It's a very juicy story. It's in the same old Hollywood vein as the story I wanted to originally do, which I will do this year. This will be a two-parter since there are so many juicy Hollywood stories I want to discuss. And that is about the life and many loves of Hollywood legend Ava Gardner. Oh. Yes. So I used three books for this, including Ava, My Story by Ava Gardner, Ava Gardner, The Secret Conversations by Peter Evans, and Ava Gardner, Love is Nothing by Lee Server. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's really uh, juicy. There's so much stuff and like things I had never heard. I mean, I'll tell when it, the, the, the crime that sort of made me be like, oh my God, I had never heard this story for before is in part two, but there's a lot of stuff in this too, I think that kind of counts nice. uh, as well. So Molly Baker and James Gardner got married young and almost immediately started having kids. Their fourth child, a boy named Ray, died after a freak accident when he was two after Molly unknowingly swept a dynamite cap that the dad used um, to clear boulders off of his land into the fireplace, causing a blast that killed the child almost instantly. (gasps) Isn't that awful? That's horrendous. So James's father... I'm sorry... Um, James, the father, believed that this was an omen and set off a series of bad luck the family would eventually suffer. They had several more kids before their seventh and last 
Ava Lavinia Gardner was born on December 24th, 1922 in Grabtown, North Carolina. According to family members, she was noisy as hell from the moment she was born and was also, not surprisingly, described as a beautiful baby. At the age of three, the family lost the house and land they lived on and farmed. Molly eventually got a job cooking and cleaning for a local boarding house where a lot of teachers lived, while Joan um, James sharecropped, which was basically paying a landlord for land to farm on. He continued to have this dream that one day he would own his own property again, but sadly that dream would never come true. Ava was always around her mother's workplace and they were very close. Uh, at school, she really began to stand out from all the little girls who had dark haired, bobbed haircuts that were popular back then. She had long blonde ringlets as a kid, even though she's dark haired when she gets older. Ava loved school initially, but as she got older, her love of learning faded. As an adult, she would feel great embarrassment about her gaps in knowledge and the fact that she was uneducated. During the summer, she helped her dad with the tobacco crops, and despite being poor, she described her childhood as a happy one. Yes, she was very pretty, but I mean, classic, you know, she loved getting dirty and playing with boys her age, getting rough and tumble in the mud, uh, classic kind of tomboy situation. She also grew a reputation for being feisty and obscene. She began smoking at a very young age and was cursing up a storm, which stood out uh, at the time for a little girl to be doing that. I can relate. (laughs) Me too. Also, I I thought it was interesting. Like, I have a few uh, people I know from North Carolina, and almost all of them smoke or smoked a lot. It's like they kind of grow up with tobacco or smoking the industry there. Yeah. and, And the same with her. I mean, she started smoking at a very young age. Um, like many girls in the 30s, she became obsessed with talkies and dreamed that herself, she herself would one day be a movie star. Now, after the Great Depression, both James and Molly lost their jobs and interned their home and moved to the family to Virginia. Back in North Carolina, everyone's parents were basically poor farmers. Now her class status made her Ava feel even more insecure. When she told a classmate her dad was a farmer, all the students who overheard this laughed in her face, basically. She also went to school in handmade clothes, which embarrassed her and sometimes would wear her coat to school so no one would see that she wore the same two handmade dresses. She had those uh, handmade O-piece uh, yeah. shorts. <laughs> yes. She had like the 30s version of that. <laughs> House dresses probably with like calico right. fabric. Uh, puberty hit, and that brought a whole new set of problems uh, for Ava, who was taught that a woman had two choices when she um, developed or became a woman. She could be a prude or she could be a whore. Sex was definitely a taboo subject, and this prudish feeling on sex would stay with her until she basically goes hog-fucking-wild sexually (laughs) in her early 20s. So... She also began to hate church, especially seeing the looks on the faces of the disgusting men she would see in church kind of looking at her grossly. She recalled a memory that when she was baptized, she watched in horror as her white baptismal ground turned transparent as it got wet while she was underneath. And she knew that when she was lifted, all the men would be staring at her and kind of see through her dress. How old was she? When she was uh, baptized. I think she's in her early teens, like 13 oh. or something. It's not like the baby one. Right. It's like when you're it's older. It's another one? Yeah. Certain ones, they do it when you're older. Okay. It's not like the baby thing. Um, I did it when I was older. You did? You got baptized? Yeah. Baptized in Mormon church. They literally sink you in. They had like a tub for it. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I need to get out of that. (laughs) (laughs) You need to get out of the... It's actually a huge process. Like I have to get off the books. Wait, you're on the Mormon books? Probably. Because I never got released from it. I don't want to be on the books. (laughs) But it's a whole rigmarole because they want to keep everyone. Oh my God. I know. It's like, it's like, I don't have time for this. This is honestly, (laughs) I love... I love learning things about each other on, <laughs> yeah, through the while show. we're doing the show. Speaking of baptism, uh, so this really soured her on church forever. And I get that. It's like they're supposed to be these pious and they're all fucking horny pervs. Like, yeah. So she's 13 now. Um, she's already a great beauty, obviously getting a lot of attention. And she starts developing an interest in boys too at this time because they basically all want to date her. Like yeah. She's very uh, popular. So... Despite this newfound popularity, though, Ava was not happy in Virginia. Neither was her dad, who was definitely depressed and kind of worn down uh, from his workload and like what he had to do to keep the family uh, together. He goes on to develop a horrible cough, which turns into bronchitis, but they have zero money uh, for a hospital stay. So he goes home and is cared for by Molly. Uh, One of Ava's biggest regrets later in life is how she would be annoyed. She had to stay and sit with her ailing dad rather than go out with her friends at the time. They were very close also. And she and her mom are obviously devastated because he eventually dies at home of this treatable illness, basically. The following summer, 1938, they moved back to their home state of North Carolina After graduating high school, Ava has basically no plans on what she wants to do with her life, but an offer from her oldest sister, B, who is called Bappy, would change the course of her life. Now, Bappy, who um, was already out of the house by the time Ava was born. I mean, these kids were, you know, very far apart. Um, She's basically married, living in New York City with her husband, who is a photographer named Larry Tarr. Bappy is feeling very lonely in the big city and invites Ava to come visit her one summer, saying, "I will, we can find you a summer job. You can earn some money. It'll be really fun for you to be in New York City. Her husband, Larry, is immediately taken with Ava's beauty. But more than that, she he, he describes her having this ability to kind of radiate joy uh, when she's sort of smiling and happy, which she often is. And I actually see this as well when I looked at a lot of pictures of her while I was uh, writing this. And when she's smiling, uh, I mean, she's obviously stunning when she's not smiling and I'm not trying to be like, smile, but she is so radiant when she's like, cause it's like a real smile when she's posing with it. Um, so I can really see why that was the case for him as well. She's very genuine. She becomes one of his favorite photography subjects. And the trio all agreed one day that they would make formal portraits as a gift for Molly. This portrait would change everything. Larry is so pleased with this portrait that he displays it in the front window of his portrait studio. A Lowe's theater legal clerk named Barnard Duan spots this portrait uh, in the window. He he kind of uses his, the Lowe's Theater um, is the, is a subsidiary, uh, I'm sorry, MGM is a subsidiary, subsidiary, I can't say it, of Lowe's. Uh, So he'll often use this connection to MGM to kind of like hit on girls. He goes into the studio and is like, hey, I'm from MGM. I need to get um, this girl's number. Um, But the receptionist is like, no, because obviously this is like, the boss's niece like this isn't just some model uh she's already back in new york in north carolina um he makes the comment uh to larry 
Somebody should send this girl to, en- to her info to MGM. The Tars do this immediately, uh, Bappy and Larry. Um, so they put together a portfolio of Ava picks they have on hand, and they drop them off at the MGM office in Times Square. Meanwhile, back in North Carolina, Ava has enrolled in secretarial school and is caring for her mother, who is ailing with what at the time was called women's complaints, aka like anything to do with your vagina or uterus or those things. Women's complaints. They're just complaining about shit. (laughs) Those women and their complaints (laughs) about physical ailments. Hysterical, right? Uh, Just as Ava settles into this life in North Carolina in the summer of 1941, she gets a call from B and Larry. MGM wants to meet her. So Ava is back in New York City to see if there's a chance she could fulfill her childhood dream of being on the silver screen. Now, she has a near incomprehensible Southern drawl at this time. Uh, So MGM is like, we can't take our, our, our eyes off of her, but my God, we cannot understand a word she uh, says. Despite that, they're like, we have to get her on film. They send her to screen test director Al Altman, who is the head of MGM's New York talent department. He discovered Joan Crawford and was instrumental. Joan Crawford? Yeah. Oh. He was instrumental in getting MGM to sign her. Like, he did not give up on her. They, like, bailed on her initial test, and he just kept filming her to get it right. With cameras rolling, he directs 18-year-old Ava to walk towards the camera, turn and walk away, rearrange some flowers in the vase. He uh, did not even attempt to record her voice because that's how difficult it was to understand what she was saying. Now, after he films this test, he kind of interviews her, asks some questions, but she is so awkward when answering these questions. He's also like, ugh, this is like not going well. Um... But when he views the footage that night, he um, has some other people from MGM come along with him to look at this footage. Whenever she has just the camera on her face and it's a close up, there's no talking at all. Everyone is like immediately falling in love with her because right. she's so gorgeous and luminous, luminescent and like all of that stuff. So at this time, uh, as a test shooter, you have three choices when you have a real you ship it to MGM, you reshoot it if it's promising, or you shelve it. After his viewing and editing it down to just two minutes of silent close-ups, he ships it to MGM immediately. Look, some people are so hot. Yeah. They don't, the studios <laughs> don't care. They're like, we'll, we'll fix the voice. We'll, well find that's a basically way. what, you're just like Louis B. Mayer. Because... <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Thank you for for telling me I'm just like one of the worst people in Hollywood. Speaking of hot people, he basically said the the same thing. He said, she can't sing. She can't act. She can't talk. She's terrific. (laughs) So she's almost immediately offered a standard contract by the studio. Unfortunately, at the same time, she gets this great news. She also gets devastating news. Those women issues that Molly was having is actually uterine cancer. <gasps> so she's very, very sick. It's inoperable. Uh, she wants to go to her mom and care for her mom. Obviously, she doesn't want to have what happened to her dad and her not be there and care for her mom. But Molly is like, no, do not fucking come back to North Carolina. You are going to Hollywood and Bappy is going with you <laughs> to make sure you're okay. And Bappy who I guess is not happy in her 
her marriage, despite Larry seeming, seeming perfectly nice, is like all too happy to go I'll along go. to Hollywood. And Bappy plays, Bappy, Bappy's a lot in this story. Uh, she's always on the sidelines uh, creating havoc in some way. Uh, so she leaves for Hollywood in 1941 with Bappy accompanying her. Her first day on the MGM set, Ava is given a grand tour, and on this tour, she is taken to a soundstage to watch the filming of a scene where a young actor is performing a Carmen Miranda impression. This is a scene from a movie called Babes and Babes on Broadway, and that man is the most popular man in movies at the time, 21-year-old Mickey Rooney. He's instantly smitten when he sees this new MGM talent walk in the door. Uh, in Ava's mind, she's like, I just met a really short man dressed as Carmen Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's not impressed at yeah. all. Yeah. She, uh, so everyone agrees Ava is physically perfect, obviously, uh, in the sort of, you know, when they go to the, the little, like, oh, we're going to fix you up now. Yeah. There's nothing they can do. They try to, like, stick mortician's wax in her chin dimple, which is dumb, uh, and obviously that looks like shit. So they're like, I guess we have to let her leave it. Um, <laughs> obviously we've talked about her Southern voice and acting ability. Both need those, both need some work. She's put in the MGM movie star school to work on those. She, I would love to go to that school. Me too. <laughs> I don't know. I know it sounds horrible in many ways, like the <laughs> dieting stuff and all that, but part of it's like, I feel like that scene in Wizard of Wizard Oz. Of Oz of- yeah. <laughs> That's what, I, that's what I imagine with the curlers. Yes. And the, yeah. And, and they're all sitting there and getting beautiful. And yes. like that looks really fun. Yes. So she's also schooled on all the creeps and jerks populating the MGM, which is a lot. <laughs> uh, she is her, she's told about Arthur Freed, the producer of Wizard of Oz and the other MGM me- musicals, who infamously exposed his penis to a 12-year-old Shirley Temple. Oh. <gasps> Uh, Louis B. Mayer is also a pig, as we know. Um, so it's really a top-down problem. Like it's from the top down to the bottom. All these guys suck ass. There's a few good guys, obviously, who help Ava. I'll get to one of them. She has her own awful experience week one. Um, an exec asks her if she wants to go into the screening room and watch a film with him. Obviously, as soon as they are alone, he immediately begins groping and kissing on her, whispering promises and threats into her ear. She escapes before things escalate and runs into a good guy at MGM. His name is Howard Strickland. He's kind of like a exec promotion, whatever type guy. Uh, he offers to help kind of watch after her, protect her. But he also is like, don't say that anything to anyone about right. this. It's like that level. That's the good guy at this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll help you, but don't tell on anyone also. Right. Ava uh, would later speak about her attempts to not be appealing to men on the set, on like on MGM's, um, what is it called? Campus? No. The, the lot? The lot. Thank you. <laughs> so what is she going around burping <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's an impossibility. Um, we all know it's not about what you're what you look look like or what you're wearing necessarily. Yeah. It's these guys are creeps. Uh, they're predators. So she can't do anything. They're still going to come after her. But you know, this is the times. Uh, it really hardens her views that men are pigs and sex is disgusting and evil. Mickey Rooney has plans to change her mind on those things, though. Oh. He he has thought 
nothing of nothing else from the moment he first saw her. He would later say in his biography, seeing her for the first time made everything stop. My breath, my heart, my thinking. He said he needed to find out about her, including whether or not she was, quote, potential pussy for an executive. Gross. Now, that was a common occurrence with these contract players. They got paid very little, and sometimes it was literally just an exec signing them so they could fuck them yeah. and have, a, have, a, have them available to them. Uh, I know. I like that. That's so gross. Mickey Rue. <laughs> she pussy? <laughs> He says some really gross things. When he he uh, runs into her a second time at the commissary, he asks her out and she says no. He goes back to his table of friends who are all laughing at him. He's deflated, but he's also elated because he's like, I'm going to marry this girl. He begins harassing her basically to go out and she declines nonstop. Obviously, this makes him even more interested. Uh, eventually... It rattles him, though, because he's like, I'm this rich guy. I'm the biggest movie star in the world. Women throw themselves at me. They do? Yeah. And he's like, is it because I'm short? (laughs) That's his thing. No, he is a pussy hound. He gets so much action at this time in his life that it's crazy. I mean, I know it's disgusting. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, So people began trying to convince her to go out with him, especially fucking Bappy. She's like, why not? He's a movie star. Go to the clubs and whatever. Um, But Ava's really concerned about getting a reputation because Mickey is such a player. She doesn't want to be seen as one of his, like, you know, whatever. Uh, She And she did think he was short. Like, that was a thing for her because she's like, he's like 5'2", I think. So she was like, even when he was wearing heels as Carmen Miranda, he was like only up to my tits. Like, uh, whatever. I mean, we all know short kings exist. Uh, Yeah, we we have no problem with short men. No, but she, I think he's annoying her too. So then it's like, I don't even want you. He was just aggressive. So she does finally agree because Bappy is like, I'll come along so you'll be safe. No one will think this is a skeezy, whatever. And Mickey's like, that's fine. He just wants in. So he takes the pair to Chasen's. They dine on filet mignon, uh, champagne. They have crepe Suzette. He has them in stitches all night. He introduces Ava to every table. And then they all go out dancing into the wee hours. As he walks her to that her door that night, he like takes her hand and proposes marriage to her. Mickey Rooney? Yes. Ava is so shocked, she yanks her hand out of his and runs inside without saying <laughs> a word. But she continues going out with him all the while telling everyone he's just not my type. Her um, Later on, she admitted, I'm sorry, he admits later on, if she had been interested, he probably would have been bored very quickly, just like all of his other relationships ended, you know, after he finally fucking got the conquest. He also helps her career. Like he introduces her to everyone who is anyone, which gets her on people's radar. He helps her land her first real role. It's just in a short film, the ones that used to play between features. She's a waitress who basically looks gorgeous, which is all she has to do in it. Mickey is convinced she's going to be a huge star. And before she knew it, she was officially Mickey Rooney's girl. Oh. So... As she begins to appear more and more on his arm at events and parties, negative press starts coming her way. No one could believe that this gorgeous woman would be with this short, not hot guy like Mickey Rooney, even if he was a big star. They label her a gold digger who's only using him to boost her career. First of all, I don't think that's true, but also who cares? He's using her because she's gorgeous. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, she refuses to have sex with him. She doesn't want to have sex before marriage. And Mickey says that's probably why he asked her to marry him 25 times. 
In December of 1941, shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the mood of the country is obviously very grim. Mickey asks her again, and perhaps feeling vulnerable by the uncertainty of the looming war, Ava finally says yes. Now, Mickey tells Ava to keep it secret, but then he himself breaks the news to Hedda Hopper. Unfortunately, he had not gotten permission from Louis B. Mayer, who was furious. He had a lot of issues with Mickey before, mostly for his whoring around, including like one time Mickey's mom came in and he sided with the mom because she's like, Nikki, Mickey's blowing all of his money on hookers. <laughs> that was a quote from the mom. Oh. And, and Louis B. Mayer helped her with that, but it, it didn't stop him. He had also just been busted banging Norma Shearer, uh, who was a huge actress at this time. She was recently widowed by um, the unexpected death of MGM hotshot Irving Thalberg. Mickey referred to MGM's reigning queen as being hotter than a half-fucked fox in a forest fire. (laughs) (laughs) They got busted banging all the time in her trailer, and it was like a scandal on the lot because she was like a good girl actress. Um, and she's, he was also a teenager and she was like in her thirties. Oh shit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was not happy about that. The last thing Louis B. Mayer wanted was him taking down another potential star before she even got started. But it was also, and the, the other aspect of it was Andy is still starring in these popular Andy Hardy movies where he plays a virginal teenager. So it's like, I don't want them seeing you with this hot sea showgirl type on your arm. Like it, he thought it would ruin that franchise, which was a huge money maker. Uh, he also was like, Ava and Mickey are there in the office and he's going off on Ava as if she's not even there. He's like, who is this $50 a week hillbilly accented girl who probably named Lula Bell or something like that? That's her real name. Uh, and he, he's kind of like, why is she threatening to ruin my biggest star? Like, so he's just, he doesn't get Ava at all at this point. Uh, it gets really heated. Mickey has finally had enough. He threatens to leave MGM if he can't be with Ava. Louis could have called Louis. Is it Louis? Louis B. Mayer? Louis B. B. Mayer. Louis B. Mayer could have called his bluff, but Mickey was his biggest star. So he capitulates finally saying, Mickey, you know, it would break my heart to see you unhappy. Why did you make him Italian? (laughs) I don't know. Why is he Italian? Because he's the godfather. Because that's such a like schmoozy, like whatever. I was trying to be schmoozy, but I guess my only accent is Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately for Ava... Um, that's what, that I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have marked the time there. That's going in our compilation. <laughs> See, of, I do. I, of, I do. Of greatest impressions on Hollywood crime scene. <laughs> I do impressions. They're completely inaccurate, but I do them. Um, so unfortunately for Ava, the wedding is now an MGM production and they're not putting together the big wedding of her dreams. It's going to be a low key ceremony that they're hoping will follow, fall under the radar. Uh, so they get married January 10th, 1942 and are immediately sent on their honeymoon along with an MGM publicist. After all that buildup, his balls were blue as hell, but on his wedding night, it was a bust and not a nut kind. (laughs) Wait, did they fuck? No, he got so drunk. He passed out (laughs) in the bed. So she come out, she comes out in lingerie and her husband is literally blackout drunk on the bed. Wow. But night two, after an initial awkward first time, because Ava was for real a virgin and had, like I mentioned, been raised to fear sex, 
she apparently opened up and apparently they fucked all night because uh, he described it as a sexual symphony. Now, Ava would rave to others about Mickey's expertise in bed, claiming he knew every trick in the book. And as I said before, as disgusting as it is, this was the consensus (laughs) among women in Hollywood at this time. That he was a good lay. He was a good lay. And, you know, as, as unappealing as he might be, I feel like I can see, like, sometimes guys like that are like, well, I'm going to be the best lay of their life because I can't, I don't, I'm not Clark Gable or whoever. He had had something to prove. He had something to prove. Now, Ava became a super horny person at this time. She all of a sudden was the dominant one demanding uh, sex from her husband saying, let's fuck, like all the time, (laughs) demanding that stuff. In his book, Mickey claimed her pussy was like no one else's. He said it had a life of its own and was as supple and expressive as a Ugh. little warm mouth. <laughs> First of all, Isn't I think disgusting? I think the word supple is one of the grossest words. I and, read that quote and I was like, this is so revolting, like as a little warm mouth. And that yes. Dis- well it's no surprise Ava has diamond level pussy, but I don't need to hear it described that way. By Mickey Rooney. By Mickey Rooney. Uh no, thank you. So <laughs> the marriage, uh, despite the fucking, is definitely it has a lot of issues. Um, this culminates when Ava has a health emergency. She is rushed to the hospital for an appendicitis. When she comes home, she finds panties and evidence that her husband has been fucking women while she's recovering after surgery. So he, of course, is like, no, baby, no, you're mistaken. And she kind of buys it or goes along with it at least. Now, this behavior continues, though, because he's constantly fucking other women and his friends will even joke in front of her about his little black book. Uh, her friend at the time, Peter Lawford, who was um, also not famous at the time, told her that Aunt, um, Mickey had regular mistresses who he would meet at this country club in Beverly Hills. He was immature, he was cheating, and he also had a huge gambling problem. Making things even worse, they were both drinking a lot at the time, which led to these really intense fights. Ava especially was drinking more than ever, and it really had a Jekyll and Hyde type effect on her. She would throw things at him during these screaming, drunken fights, and she also began flirting with other men in front of him, trying to like enrage him and make him jealous. Uh, Her final straw was after a drunken night at Chasen's. She had sat there fuming, watching Mickey work the room and ignoring her. She went home and got a butcher's knife and shredded all of their upholstered furniture, leaving the room covered in puff and feathers. He got home to find this huge fucking mess and no Ava. She left him basically at that point. So she was gone. Mickey quickly turned into uh, desperation to win her back. He was in misery thinking he would never get that warm, supple mouth pussy. (laughs) (laughs) But Ava was like, I'm free. I can breathe again. Like this was a, this was a torturous relationship for her. So in the fall of 1942, it is announced that they are separated, but Eddie Mannix has a problem. He's trying to get Mickey a deferment from serving in World War II, and he's using his standing as a moral, all-American inspiration to the troops to do so. So the last thing he needs is a divorce, which is the epitome of of bad, immoral behavior. So Ava agrees to take him back sort of uh, as a ruse, um, so he doesn't, uh, he can, he can kind of get out of the army. And on January 15th, 1943, though, she officially files for divorce, citing mental cruelty, but privately blaming it on his gambling and womanizing. 
Uh, she once again is protecting him from ruining his moral image uh, as the Andy Hardy that the, the public adored. Okay, we'll take a break here. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Now, despite having these few lines on screen, her career is still going nowhere. Like she is not famous at this time at all. Really? Except for just being on Mickey Rooney's arm. Like yeah. that's the that's like the extent of her fame. Uh, she's definitely worried that this divorce um, might hurt her with MGM, but she's safe and she's kind of considered a fixture in Hollywood at this point. So uh, that's good. And she has a powerful new fan. <laughs> when the divorce announcement makes the paper, Howard Hughes is reading it with interest, commenting after finishing the article, that little runt couldn't satisfy her. (laughs) 
And if there is one thing Hughes found to be a huge turn on, it was getting what other men couldn't have or couldn't keep. He had an employee meet Ava to size her up. She gets the okay and Hughes asks her out to dinner and she agrees. Now, Hughes is elated that he, it's like another victory for the most powerful and rich man in America. Little did he know that the reason Ava said yes was that she thought he was Howard Hawks, the famous director. Oh my God. She, I mean, okay, Ava, I love Ava. She actually tells him at dinner, like, that's how charming Ava is. She's laughing. She's like, I thought you were Howard Hawks, like, right, whatever, Southern. And he's like so taken with her and charmed by her that he tries to have a sense of humor about it, even though I'm sure it was a huge ego blow to him. Yeah. So is he pissing in jars at this point? No. Okay. But he's getting there. Okay. Now, (laughs) Ava, as I said, she's very charming. They get along great, which they credit to their mutual Capricorn status and, and Christmas Eve birthdays. They're both December 24th birthdays, uh, which is kind of interesting. They began going out several times a week at this point. Um, Now, now he is very chauvinistic and horny and private, but he's very chaste with Ava when he's with her. He only gives her kisses on the cheek at the end of the night, which is great for Ava because she has zero sexual interest in him. Uh, She just likes him as a friend. Now, this is largely because he smells she doesn't. She he, she is repulsed by his scent. Like he stinks. He has bad bo. He doesn't clean himself properly. Yeah, which is the beginnings of whatever um, issues he starts having later on in life. She also had heard rumors that he uh, doesn't treat whatever VD he gets. Ugh. So that's sort of like not appealing. Yeah, um, he's funky. He's very funky. So, but he's very generous uh, to her. Um, Ava would often complain to people like friends and her sister, you can't mention anything around Howard because he'll just buy it for you. And her friends are like, uh, that sounds amazing. Sounds great. <laughs> but it's like to the level, it's like, I love that store. He'll like buy the whole store and be right. like, we can come whenever you want. So it's like, I can see how it might get a little awkward, especially when you don't want to fuck the guy. Right. Um, but it does pay off in other ways because he is very thoughtful and he, he remembers everything she says. He ends up hiring the top uh, cancer specialist in the country to travel to Ava's mom and treat her, which is like incredible. Um, so it, you know, he, he has a good side. He is content with a lack of sexual interest on her part, which makes it even more shocking to Ava when he proposes to her, uh, But this is like a business deal to him. The ring he gives her, which is obviously incredible, was once one that he gave to Ginger Rogers when he asked her to marry him. Um, He dated a lot of famous actresses before Ava, um, and he was famously bad at interpersonal relationships. Um, He didn't seem to grasp what romantic love was to him. It was like, there's lust, there's curiosity, here's my proposal. Like, that's what it is to him. And everyone's else is like, no, we want like a romance or love or something. Uh, He was... He was uh, engaged to actress Linda Darnell and Lana Turner at the same time. And at the time he proposes to Ava, he has a live-in 17-year-old fiancé that's like living with him. Her name is Faith de Morgay. Um, And he's also fucking other women casually. Um, But But he's totally like, that's normal. This is all normal. He has everything compartmentalized. uh, And he decides he wants Ava in his collection Uh, Because according to him, quote, I can do no better. Like she is the top prize. And I'm sure a lot of it is much like with Mickey. She doesn't want him. So he's like not used to that. Uh, So Hughes once again brings Ava's sister Bappy in to help him out. But Ava 
said to Babby, like, this dude is weird. He only <laughs> eats steak and 24 peas for each meal. Wait, he counted out the peas? Yes. That was what he ate for every meal. Steak and 24 green peas. Even at breakfast? I think so. He wears dirty clothes, so he fucking stinks. Um, and she, rightly so, as it turns out, as we all know, he literally is starting to suffer from severe mental health issues uh, already. Now, Bappy is like, so what? Like, he's a billionaire or whatever. Go out with him or marry him. When they would fight, Bappy would often bring, bring uh, peace offerings from Howard, uh, things like diamonds and rubies, like just bags of them. And Ava would respond to her, tell him to fuck off. Uh, so you've, Hughes was obviously smitten with her disgust. Uh, the dream. Now, <laughs> still, Howard was exciting and Ava could not quite quit this friendship despite his odd behaviors. He was full of surprises, including things like elaborate trips on a whim where literally anything could happen. Like a world leader could be there. A king could be there. Like, not, you know, it was like that kind of thing that kind of kept her still sort of interested in this friendship. For instance, in May of 1943, he took Bappy and Ava to Las Vegas, piloting them himself. On May 16th, he leaves them at the hotel pool in Vegas so he can do some test flights at Lake Mead. This is also in Vegas, um, Nevada. This was like a seaplane type uh, deal that he had developed for the U.S. military. And so he's kind of testing it out before he sends them this prototype. He's at the controls and four other men are on board. While landing on Lake Mead, the plane spins out of control and literally begins ripping apart. The propeller comes loose and actually cuts one of the passengers' heads in half. <gasps> the plane begins to sink, going down with one of the other passengers. Uh, uh, the other men are shaken but are managed to make it to shore and are uninjured other than like some bruising and cuts. He returns to Las Vegas with a huge gash in his forehead uh, he's obviously can't wear his waterlogged clothes, so he gets some clothes from the gift shop at the hotel. Oh my god! Which he's, are he's, wa <laughs> he's walking around in Bellagio merch. <laughs> yeah, with several inches too small. His tummy is bare because the shirt is too short, and the pants are like high waters. They're like his calves are showing. So he is a fucking mess. He walks into the pool area. Ava sees him and immediately bursts out laughing because she doesn't realize anything has happened. Right. She just sees this freak. <laughs> this like Howard's being a freak again. Right. And he just looks at her and says, I've killed two men. <gasps> so it's just like, that's what it is like being in his life. It's just constant, like nonstop, which is like awful, but it must be like a real like whirlwind of like emotions. And like, you yeah. literally don't know what's going to happen if he's in your life. Right. Um, so this same month, her divorce is kind of in the process of being finalized. And sadly, Ava's mother passes away. Um, so, sort of right around the same time as her mother passes away, she realizes that Howard had has hired men to follow her everywhere. They're spying on her and reporting back to him. She confronts him about this and he says, oh, um, you know, there are Nazi spies who are trying to get at me by going through the people I care about. So I'm just trying to protect you. Uh, but it would come, she would come to find out that he literally did this to any woman he was interested in or seeing. Um, she was kind of sus about his excuse initially, but let it go. One night as they drove home from the Coconut Grove, Hughes saw a familiar car approaching. As the two cars passed going in opposite direction, he sees the, the face of his fiancée, 17-year-old Faith de Morgay. In his rearview mirror, he sees her car turn and do an er erratic U-turn and began following him. So 
A kind of high-speed chase begins as Howard tries to lose her. At some point, Faith uh, pulls up on the side of them as if she's trying to pass them. Uh, And Ava, her face is like in the window, full of rage, staring directly at Ava. So Ava, for the first time, is like, whoa, wait. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, that's when she realizes this is something like to do with this woman, Faith. Now, they pull into a parking lot. Uh, Ava is completely not drunk anymore. She's real sober up now. Faith pulls into the garage seconds later, pulls around to Ava's side of the car and is facing the passenger side. She starts revving the engine and immediately slams directly into the side where Ava is sitting. She reverses and does this several more times until the cars are literally so banged up that they're almost connected at this point because they're just mangled messes. That's how much she kind of crashed these cars. Uh, so <laughs> that's obviously pretty, uh, fucked up and scary. Another car happens to pull around, probably one of Howard's spies. He takes Ava to safe safety, but Faith admits she's trying to, she was trying to kill Ava. Like luckily she did not succeed. And this gets kind of brushed under the rug because Howard is very powerful. The next day he sends Ava and Bappy on a shopping spree in Mexico city as an apology. So after having 15 bit parts, Ava finally receives her first screen billing in Three Men in White, which is a Dr. Kildare film. Interestingly enough, it is Mickey Rooney who helps Ava with her scenes, running lines, etc., because she's very insecure about her acting talent. Uh, That quickly turns into a friends with benefits thing. They start fucking again, but Uh it's not it's not a relationship. It's literally like, let's meet once a week. And, and get some sex. <laughs> <laughs> they even made a game of evading Howard's spies. But what she didn't know at the time was Howard had also bugged her house. One day she got a report from his, he got a report from his surveillance agents that Ava had been fucking and it was very loud. Oh no. They have recordings of it too. So are, they were recording her fucking Mickey in this house. So are there in existence still <laughs> still these recordings? I did not see that, but I'd be curious. Uh, maybe they maybe they they don't exist anymore, or who knows? Uh, they're probably like labeled something in some vault somewhere, and yeah. one day we'll get them. Right. Um, one night, thinking she was with a man, he burst into her room, but found her alone in bed. The surveillance people had mixed up something and got something wrong. Maybe it was another woman's house he was bugging. Ava obviously is outraged. She begins screaming at him. Howard actually hits her and she falls back uh, on the floor, which enrages her. He like approaches her like, I'm so sorry, like whatever. She picks up the closest thing she can grab, which happens to be a large, large bronze bell and throws it at him. It actually makes a flat echoless ring when it hits him, which I find really hilarious. I'm it's sorry. Like a bug's bunny. It's like a bug's bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the scene is not good, but that moment I was like, what? Um, Ava claims her maid is the only thing that stopped her from killing Howard that day. Uh, she gets out a stake for her eye and I love that people that's a thing. Do, <laughs> they don't do that anymore, but people always used to put steak on their eye. Yeah. And they call an ambulance for Howard because he's really bleeding hard. I mean, as we all know, when you get hit in the head, that yeah. can be a, a big bleeding thing. So, but still he's obsessed with Ava. Um, and Faith 
had written in her diary a very accurate statement about Howard Hughes, I think. She said, once owning something or someone, he has to own it forever. It is the most self-destroying element of his character. And he is like that. He's obsessed. These people are his forever. Um, even though there's no romance with Ava, it's like his this friendship is his. Like he will, Ava will always be his in his mind. Gardner, uh, in her autobiography, she says that he was in and out of her life for about 20 years, but she described him as painfully shy, completely enigmatic, and more eccentric than anyone uh, I had ever met. So in 1944, Ava attends a Hollywood party at the home of actor Van Heflin. Van's wife, Fran, introduces Ava to a man at the party, but there was really no need because Ava was a big fan of this man. That was musician Artie Shaw. Although Shaw hadn't heard of Ava at the time, he was equally impressed by her, later saying she was the most beautiful creature he had ever seen. After chatting for a while, Ava asked if he wanted to get away from the crowd, and Artie recalled thinking that, what are you going to do, say no? You'd have to be an idiot. And they were pretty much inseparable after that night. Now, like Mickey, Artie was also a ladies' man, and he liked his glamour girls. Most famously, he was the ex-husband of Lana Turner. I mean, he's hotter than Mickey, though, yeah, for sure. Unlike with Mickey and Hughes, uh, this time it was Ava who was the one who was smitten. Like, she was the one who was, like, the desperate to be with Artie. Uh, She thought he was very complicated. He was brilliant. And she loved that he did not give a shit about what people thought of him. But much to Ava's dismay, he didn't make moves on her. They were just hanging out, and he didn't do jack shit. She was completely confused by a man who did not want to fuck her instantly, uh, and she was kind of unsure if he was even interested. But one night, he described her as the most perfect woman he had ever seen, saying he would marry her that second if he hadn't hadn't already done it four times before. (laughs) Already gets married a lot. Uh, Soon after that, they finally fuck. Now, Ava all but abandons her movie career to go on tour with Artie. He's one of the most popular big band leaders in the country at the time. Ava gets a firsthand look at racism experienced by the black band members, including the stars who um, sit in with Artie and, and perform with him. Uh, he's kind of shocked that she's like shocked. Right. Uh, she's like, I don't understand how people can be so mean and like that kind of stuff, even though she's from the South. And Artie's like, what are you confused about? Like the world is chock full of assholes. Like he yeah. like schools her. Like he's just like, come on, like yeah. get with the times. Like this is what's happening. And she really makes an effort uh, then to like support these black artists that's on tour. She comforts them when things happen. She stands up for them. And it really changes her outlook on the whole thing. Uh, one of the performers, Roy Aldridge, who was a trumpet player, talked about her being like the kindest woman who was just always there for them uh, and spoke very highly of her. After the tour ends, they finally get married on October 17th, 1945. Once again, this marriage quickly becomes a disaster. Artie wants a trad wife and Ava is not that. Like she would come home and ask him what's for dinner and he'd be like, what the fuck? Like he would be (laughs) infuriated. He's like, I pay for everything. This is my house. Like, what do you do exactly? Yeah. Like, that was his attitude towards her. And uh, he's like, you can cook dinner. Like, that's the least you can do. Yeah. Which is uh, whatever. Like, (laughs) not for me. Um, And I don't think it worked with her either. Later on, uh, this guy, he's a huge snob. He would admit that he was thinking with his dick when he married Ava and Lana since they had nothing in common. And that was the basis of their awful marriages. Lana described him as the most conceited, unpleasant man she had ever met. Wow. Um, So I mentioned earlier that Ava was very insecure about her education. 
that she took Artie's snide comments about how dumb she was or whatever. Um, she took them as if they were true and deserved. So she told him, she actually told him that she was 19 instead of 21 when they met, thinking that it was like more acceptable to be dumb at 19 than 21, which is really awful and sad. Of course, being a know-it-all man, Artie was like, well, I'll help educate you. He would give her reading lists and she would go to the store and buy them, which would lead to tearful, angry fights between them because she couldn't comprehend some of the stuff. Because he's just giving her like his level books, not like this graduated, like increasing difficulty uh, type deal. Um, But she worshipped him. And according to her, he never understood the damage he was doing to her. Ironically, he's the one who got her involved in the one thing he, the one religion he did believe in, which was psychiatry. He was like a huge, uh, he was huge into psychiatry. And this did help her deal with a few of her issues. Um, She came to realize she was smart. She just was uneducated. She didn't have the tools, um, which is a simple fix. She also, um, she had 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 been experiencing a lot of stomach stuff that she realized was stress related and tied to the fact that she felt a lot of guilt about leaving her mom to go to Hollywood and that her mom died without her um, at the end. So around this time, Ava has a pretty decent role in a movie called Whistle Stop. But in 1946, she gets the call that will change her career. Someone outside of MGM, of course, who were doing jack shit for her, wanted to talk to her about a part. His name was Mark Hellinger. Now, Hellinger had a background in Broadway and film previously working at Warner Brothers. He had recently struck out with his own production company and really wanted to make a big splash with his first film. It was an adaptation of an Ernest Hemingway story called The Killers. This story was in pre-production for a very long time. John Huston worked on the script. It has like a lot of hands on it. They wanted to make it perfect, but they still had one major role on cast. They had an unknown at the time, Burt Lancaster, cast as the lead in his first role, but the female lead, Katie Collins, was proving more difficult to find. They couldn't find anyone until a co-producer happened to catch a screening of Whistle Stop and insisted Hellinger see the girl in it. He immediately arranged a meeting with Ava after seeing it. After negotiations with MGM, Ava gets this part. Now, unlike MGM, everyone in this production loves Ava and want to do everything they can to present her in the best way and make her a star finally. They're grateful she's there. They help her give the best performance possible. They make her look great, which is obviously very easy. And they get her as much publicity as they possibly can do. Even doing things like having the National Podiatrist Association claim she had the most beautiful and healthy legs in America. (laughs) (laughs) I actually love those old distinctions like that. They're so funny. They're so stupid. They're so stupid. But it was like, it would be great to have that one of those. Like, And I love her elbows. (laughs) They're they're just so beautiful. (laughs) Now, the movie goes on to be a critical and commercial success. It has Oscar nominations, the whole deal. And it finally makes Ava a star. This is the thing that does it finally. Um, and she joins this elite group of women who are film noir femme, femme fatales. Like, uh, so she finally has this career success. But obviously, she has another mal- marriage failure on her hand. She blames uh, her husband is bored with that. Her husband is bored with her. According to him, it's because she chose Hollywood over him. Regardless of the reason, Ava's devastated. And she says, I don't trust and love anymore. It has led me astray. So she fills the void with partying. She goes out about four times a week, dancing, dining, and drinking. Artie actually gets married very soon after. This guy is fucking obsessed with marriage. Yeah. So 
that marriage actually ends dramatically as well. The wife accuses him during their divorce proceedings of becoming violent when she refuses to join the Communist Party. And that accusation will lead to him being investigated during the McCarthy era. Like It'll come back to haunt him. So he might be an interesting uh, story. Yeah. For sure. Ava remains single despite many men wanting to be with her. Um, She kind of wants company, though. She she hooks up with her old pal Howard Hughes again after finding out he had recently had another brush with death. So what happened to him after taking off from an airfield in Culver City? He crashed on a residential street in Beverly Hills. The plane exploded into flames, and Hughes should have been incinerated in the explosion, but somehow made it out alive. He had burns to his hands and face, broken bones, concussion, lung punctures, and was given a 50-50 chance to survive. When Ava heard, she rushed to the hospital to be by his side, but wasn't allowed in. And Howard actually had um, someone keeping track of what actresses showed up to oh see God. him, but weren't, <laughs> even though he wasn't letting anyone in. Right. Uh, so he recovers after a few months, and a- Ava will later say that he was never the same person after this uh, crash in particular. So, of course, now MGM is fully behind their new star, casting her in a Clark Gable movie called The Huckster. Ava is still green. Like, she's, she, even though she's been doing this for a while, she hasn't been in that many films uh, with big stars, especially. So, she said that when she was kissing Gable for the movie, she was thinking, it's Clark Gable. <laughs> <laughs> so, she finally starts dating again, having short affairs with Mel Torme and David Niven. Now, side sidetrack here because I found this information very interesting. He had recently been widowed because his wife died after falling headfirst down a stone staircase while playing a game of lights out hide and seek. (gasps) So this freak accident. Uh, After this, he claimed that his grief gave him a permanent boner. No. The only way to find relief for him was to bang young starlets. Come on. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That is the the biggest fucking lie I have ever heard in my life. Well, Ava helped him out with that for a few weeks. She she was on his rotation uh, for a bit. I was like, what the hell? I was like, I need more information here, but I didn't have time to delve into that. Because that is crazy. I have to bang young hotties. My wife died and my boner won't go down. It just sounds fake, even if it's true. Um, she also had a date with a young John F. Kennedy, who she found meh. She was like, uh, that guy's fucking boring as hell. Like, <laughs> she hated him. Um, so at this time, she had a lusty affair with Kirk Douglas as well. Kirk once said, quote, as a Jew, I always fasted on Yom Kippur. And let me tell you, it's not easy to make love to Ava Gardner on an empty stomach. Now, what the fuck? <laughs> while I was reading this, I thought he was going to say, but I made an exception for Ava Gardner's pussy. <laughs> Like, I thought that's where he was going with it. I fasted, but I had to have some of that. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. So she left a lot of broken hearts in her wake during this period. Um, One saying, yes, I am very beautiful, but morally, I stink. (laughs) Which I was like, merch slogan? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Despite her chaotic social life, uh, in some ways, Ava, Ava did settle down. She finally bought a house. She became best friends with her neighbor, Lena Horn, And she also became active in progressive politics, particularly interested in civil rights uh, due to her friendship with Lena and her experience with Artie Shaw on tour. Uh, and while her progressive politics were troubling to Louis B. Mayer, who is very conservative, it was her social life that really got his blood boiling. She was drinking too much, fucking too much, and cursing up a storm in public. Even worse, 
Ronald Reagan <laughs> caught her skinny dipping with black people at William Holden's barbecue, <gasps> becoming so startled by the visual, he fell into the pool. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "That's a." I think that sounds like it turned out perfectly. It sounds great. Uh, so Louis B. Mayer was like, this girl is out of control, um, <laughs> which was perfectly illustrated when MGM set her up for a big interview with Time Magazine at a restaurant. During it, her sex pot reputation came up. A busboy happened to be nearby, and Ava responded, People think I'm the type who would take the busboy out back and she like meeks eyes with the busboy and she says, I just might. Oh, that <laughs> so the publicist immediately like changes the subject. <laughs> the busboy had a huge boner probably. <laughs> that busboy. That was the best day of his life. So she eventually excuses herself to go to the restroom and never came back. Did she fuck him? I don't think so, but I wish she did. Uh her next flick is a Howard Hughes production called My Forbidden Past, and her co-star was Robert Mitchum. Now, if you're thinking, mm. I hope these two mm. fucked. I do. How can, how can you not fuck Robert Mitchum? I mean, for both of them. It's a little bit up in the air, but I think they did. In her memoir, Ava claimed, if I could have gotten him in bed, I would have. But according to Mitchum, she could get him in bed, and she did. Regardless of whether that happened or not, uh, they partied nightly. Every day they would leave the set, go watch jazz, drink up a storm. Mitchum obviously loved refurb. Ava said she didn't do drugs except for the one time she sniffed coke off of Errol Flynn's finger, of course. Wait. <laughs> classic. Classic, classic Errol drug- Flynn. <laughs> a classic Errol Flynn move. Um, but Mitchum, of course, much like men today, was like, no, no, you had bad pot. Like, I got the good stuff. Uh, She had, like, a really bad experience once again and swore off grass forever. Ava would later say that every girl who worked with Mitchum fell in love with him. But why did this duo not become a legendary couple, you might be wondering? Well, Mitchum was still married to his child sweetheart. Uh, Childhood sweetheart. Not child sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) Ava actually calls his wife, Dorothy, asking her, Hey, um, do you think you've had him long enough and maybe like to give another gal a chance? (laughs) Dorothy responds no to both questions. Ava later describes her as one of the most understanding wives she'd ever met. Um, And Mitchum and Ava's relationship ends as soon as filming does. That kind of just dies down. But Ava was about to come in contact with a wife who wasn't very understanding at all. The wife of a man that she had long had a passing interest in and with whom sparks would fly at a Palm Springs party hosted by Daryl Zanuck that would end in her arrest with the future love of her life, Frank Sinatra. (gasps) So that's what we'll get to next week. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Wow, Desi, that was great. We will post some pictures on our Instagram, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 